I took nature and science and I synthesized. Welcome to another episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Well, guys, are you vegetarians? You're about to be. Here on uh, this episode, we are going to be covering Bong Joon-ho's sixth movie, Okja. With me, as always, is my co-host and friend, Josh Page. Thank you, Stephen, for another lovely introduction. Uh, Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, I had some roast beef uh, shortly after watching this movie, and I looked at the roast beef and felt bad for about 10 seconds and said, nah, it's going to taste good. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, Some roast power beef. of cinema, you know. It's well, just... to quote Nancy, if it's cheap, they'll eat it. So, <laughs> it's cheap. Oh, yeah. Wow. We are going to get into it today. Yeah. I actually am a vegetarian. So it's, you know, I switched to this, well, last year. So, wait, what? We're not, we're not, wait, really? You're a real vegetarian? You're just making. No, I uh, am a vegetarian. Occasionally, I will eat fish or eggs just to keep like protein high. But for the most part, I don't eat. I I haven't had meat in I want to say, at this point, ten months. What 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 caused the change? Did the pandemic just get to you, you know, so so deeply that I mean? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm. I mean, the pandemic didn't help, especially what was going on in the food industry. You know, I'm not here to convert anyone to vegetarianism. So I'm not getting into like the disgusting things that the food industry was doing during the pandemic just to keep up the supply demands. But uh, it was more of a medical and health situation that led me to my- No, it makes sense. I mean, I- Vegetarianism. I I, I think there are countless arguments for uh, vegetarianism and- them uh dare i say the other dreaded v word but like um you know if you watch food inc and you watch certain documentaries and you you actually do some digging into the food industry you realize how not just the animal cruelty on farms but you also realize that the the gmos and the, the stuff that this movie this very movie talked about but all the the stuff that they put in the, or artificial stuff that they put in that's toxic to human our, our bodies so um yeah my- exactly the only reason yeah. i didn't switch to veganism is mostly because of money vegan food is just so expensive. so expensive so uh, expensive yeah. i can't do it my, so uh, wow anyway wow this movie, right, congrats <laughs> okja bong like i said bong joon ho's sixth movie and again quite a swing quite a different turn of the pendulum from snow piercer to this one I love it. That's it for the folks at home who have or have not listened. We make note every Pong episode that he loves to just kind of swing his movies in a totally opposite direction. It's just astounding to me that, especially watching this movie this time around, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were watching Mother and here we are watching Okja and you're just like, what can this man not 
do. I love it. I love it so much. He's really, uh, you know, not that we're, as you, as you put so kindly last time to blowing smoke up his ass, but it's really, uh, he's really just, I, I just love it because he continues to surprise. He continues to, uh, you know, be unpredictable. Yeah. Um, so let's get into production and all that jazz. So the inspiration for this movie, Bong Joon-ho said that he was driving in 2010 through a fog in Seoul and he had a vision. He said he was not on drugs, but he had a vision of a pig that he perceived to be shy and sad and his mind wandered. And he questioned, why would the pig be so sad? (laughs) And that kind of led him into the cruelty of the meat industry. And that's why the pig is sad. So for research for this movie, he actually went to a beef uh, house, a beef slaughterhouse, though they just call it a beef house in Colorado. He said it was a modern facility, you know, just like all the new amenities, well-kept, FDA approved, all that stuff. But he said it was still completely terrifying what he witnessed, you know, watching cows get shot in the head is probably not fun unless you're Anton Chigurh carrying around that uh, <laughs> cow, oh, cow gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he used, Oh, right? man. It's actually amazing. That's true. The difference I mean, it's in terrifying. Technology, right? I've never... You know, uh, in 2007, Anton Chigurh is carrying this big, heavy piece of equipment. And in this movie, it's just like a tiny little shotgun. It's, uh, it's really something. Call yeah, it. there's a yeah, yeah. Call it. Would you like to? Would you like to flip a coin? <laughs> he doesn't even ask. He just flips the coin. This he doesn't coin, ask him. I don't know. He does. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. He, he says, says "What's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss?" That's that's the like, iconic I don't line. understand. It's like, and he just flips the coin. He's like, "This coin has traveled from 1958, 12 years to get to you," and it's like. But we're not here to blow smoke. Oh, the stop it. We'll do that right another now. episode. Jesus, dude, come on, cut all this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, contrary to what you may believe after watching this movie, Bong Joon Ho said that this is not really about the meat industry as a whole, it's about the economics around what has led to such a terrible system. Uh, classic Bong Joon-ho, right? He wants to talk about the economics and plight of the average person because he is he's insistent that this is a system that puts profit over health. And as we will talk about later when we get to Nancy, the character, one of the characters Tilda Swinton plays, you see that that is, that that's the message right there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like I said, her quote is, if it's cheap, they'll eat it. So it's about the economics around it. There so, is a yeah. There's a lot to be said on both sides. There's people uh, defending the conglomerate corporation of food and the people protecting the animal rights. Even though this is obviously, you know, in favor of the animal rights, it really feels like there's a um, how do I put it? There's an overdramatic uh, or, 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 or there's a uh, dramatized um, depiction of both parties. Like it really feels like with the main characters, it's kind of like they feel like they're really caught in the middle, you know, so. Yeah. Though he did want to emphasize that he is still an animal lover. <laughs> Though maybe he shouldn't be after barking dogs, uh, he does own a dog. 
goodness. I guess it makes more sense than Wes Anderson owning a dog, but hey, who are we Very, to judge? Yeah. yeah. So let's get into the actors. Uh, clearly a star-studded cast. Yeah, they they upped their game for this one. Every time. Uh, yeah. He, Bong Joon-ho said he wanted an international cast, which he clearly got. Uh, he told the cast that this is a love story between a child and her best friend who just so happens to be an animal. Yeah. yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal saw an image of Okja and heard that Tilda Swinton was involved in the project and wanted in. He didn't even read the script. Yeah. He was just like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's good. That's a good selling factor. Yeah. Well, he was a big fan of Bong Joon-ho. He said one of his favorite things is what we have been mentioning over and over again. He loves how Bong Joon-ho can shift tone and genre in his films. He admired it so much that he just wanted in. Now, you may have noticed that Jake Gyllenhaal has a very distinct voice in this movie. Uh, apparently, the voice was not necessarily Jake Gyllenhaal's decision. It was a collaborative decision between him and Bong. Bong Joon-ho showed him the top of a guitar and said, this is where the sound is not supposed to come from. And this is the, part, this is the place you, you should stem the voice off of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's he, really, just, he just like riffed off of that notion. That's really great in character, so. <laughs> yeah. The first sequence that Jake Gyllenhaal shot was his first introductory scene in the movie when he reaches the top of the mountain and Bong Joon-ho expressed, you know, the squeal that he wanted Gyllenhaal to exude. <laughs> and Jake Gyllenhaal used that and the guitar quote as like a launching pad to come up with this like, crazy voice it's really something i don't even know it sounded familiar but not really you know it had like a cartoonish vibe that like a mix between coach steve from uh big mouth and uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> and coach like some steve. other <laughs> oh yeah you got your super big yeah i don't even know what it is it's just constantly changing yeah. um and i'm actually surprised while we're on it that it's like it worked as well as it did, at least for me and for certain people where it didn't go like a Tom Hardy Bane route where like it split people down the middle, I think. It's because he's still like understandable when he talks. Right. That's, that's the key difference. <laughs> Tom Hardy is either mumbling or just like inaudible when he puts on these weird voices. Yeah. And that's really the problem. I can't understand a word you're fucking saying. Um. So the there's a woman in a wheelchair. I'm still on the actors, though. There's a woman in a wheelchair that Okja almost crashes into in this movie. And that is the housekeeper from Parasite. Oh, wow. She also provides the voice for Okja, like the squeals and sounds for Okja. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Bong Joon-ho said was funny because it, for a moment... This woman is literally screaming at herself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I guess they're friends. Yeah, that's cool. Or let's get into the visual effects because obviously Okja is a digital product. There's no such thing as a super pig. <laughs> um, they did it all in computer, but 
they made stand-ins that they called quote-unquote stuffies. And they were like rubber suits that an actor would wear. Uh, Steve Klee was the main guy who would wear them. And he would help interact with the actors so that they knew where Okja was supposed to be. And it also helped the visual effects artists deal with timing because mm-hmm. he would run down the highway or like on, through the tunnel and it would guide the visual effects people to know, okay, this is where Okja should be at any specific point in time. No, it's good. It's, de- it's certainly better than just relying on green screen and having people just stare into, you know, nothingness. Um, it, it certainly feels, I mean, in, in comparison to the only other creature design Bong has done at this point, um, like in comparison to the host, like it works better this time because, well, like, I mean, the hosts are all running away from it. You can kind of do whatever you want with that kind of, um, but this, you really, there are moments where you genuinely feel like, um, you know, the characters are interacting with the super pig like it's actually there. I mean, it really, they've come a long way uh, digitally yeah. from that. From well, this that movie, he also had that Netflix money. So. Yeah, no, it shows. Even the way it's shot, we talked about, we talk about it every Bong episode, but even the way it's shot, the way he widens the frame and shows the mountains and just even just everything about it just feels like a bigger budget. And it's amazing that with the budget they did, I don't know if you said how much they shot it for. I did not. Uh, I think it's I can get not fit. I don't know if it's 50 million. I want to say it's more, but like it's shot like a giant, kind of like a giant blockbuster, um, which kind of leads into the conversation about it being a Netflix movie rather than a big theatrical release. And I was actually reading about that. I don't know if you got the number. It was $50 um, million dollar budget. It yeah. is 50 million because when, uh, thanks man. I don't often get those chances. But, um, it, I think what happened is, is he got Snowpiercer because they did a theatrical release and it kind of like, because I guess it didn't get screened everywhere, it kind of tanked financially. And like we had said in the Snowpiercer episode, it was, uh, that was a movie that only was discovered because it was like a sleeper hit where people like myself, like I literally like heard about it because someone's like, oh, there's this movie on Netflix. That's awesome. You got to watch it. And it's like, it became a word of mouth thing, but the movie didn't necessarily succeed financially. And it's a, that's another big movie. And so like, it feels big. And so I feel like, going to Netflix was the move to bring people in. Um, and this and Meyerowitz stories, 2017, uh, were selected for, for con and, uh, yeah. because they were Netflix productions, they wouldn't receive a, a real theatrical release. And or it was a limited, I guess, limited, theatrical yeah. release. But this was, yeah. I mean, it's amazing how much has changed with Netflix over the years. Obviously last year was a completely different circumstance because of um, the pandemic. But Netflix has kind of leaned into, specifically in New York and LA, into theatrical releases, even going so far as to, in New York City, buying the Paris Theater, uh, specifically to show their movies. Like, I, I passed by that theater, and they had every intention of showing Mank at that theater. And it's so disappointing that they weren't able to do it. And even last year, when uh, two years ago now at this point, when Irishman came out, I saw that at a Broadway theater, uh, yeah, Broadway show theater. They took over the whole theater just to show that movie. Yeah, I, I, I you and I talked about it in, well, we've talked about it so many times off air. I don't know if we talked about it in um, one of our Nolan episodes that um, there are certain movies that you feel like you want to see on the big screen. 
um, you know, Mank being one of them from last year. I just would have loved to see the old Hollywood on the big screen. But even even Okja and even like certain Netflix movies are getting reaching that giant scale. I'm like, I wish I could see this on the big screen. But yeah, you yeah, know, it obviously brings in more of, numbers. Yeah, one of my fondest uh, movie going memories in like recent memory was going to see Marriage Story in the Paris theater and uh, the director came in and I was Noah. like, yeah, Noah Baumbach came into wow. the theater and like introduced the movie. And I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. That's amazing. That's anyway. absolutely amazing. I don't know. So, but, but I mean, I understand, I mean, especially with the pandemic that it's Netflix is going to change even yeah. more, but. No, but my point is in 2017, they were kind of like strictly like this is coming out on our service. We'll release it in a couple theaters, like the IFC theater played it, but there wasn't a big push for the theater experience. But in 2018, when Roma came out, that kind of flipped because Netflix was trying to win that Oscar and was like, we need to adhere Mm -hmm. to the Oscar demands and try and push the theater experience. Yeah. yeah, I think it's 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 changed a lot more, especially in like you said, coming back full circle, uh, coming back full circle with Marriage Story and the Irishman in 2019. Uh, they just keep kind of keep changing, but Oakja exists in this weird time frame where Netflix is still figuring out where they tiptoed that line between yeah. theatrical and home release. But Oakja also is one of those movies that was. Are, it was never going to win the Oscar. So no, of course, but like, it was. I mean, but it's just yeah. maybe it could have because that same year, Shape of Water won, and you know what's one weird creature versus another at a certain point. right. It's more so like my argument, and I and I I'll, I'll always fall to the 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 American dream of wanting to go to the cinema. But it says when a movie feels big enough, uh, I just you know have that feeling like I I would love to have experiences in a, in a, on the big screen, but. Yeah, as always, we digress. <laughs> the only other mo- the only other note that I have is uh, that there's a sequence in this movie with a, there's a boardroom meeting, and that is staged to look. I know exactly uh, what you're talking yeah, about. That is staged to look exactly like the Obama War Room the night that yeah. Osama bin Laden was killed. Mm-hmm. They put uh, Tilda Swinton in Hillary Clinton's spot. They put uh, Giancarlo Esposito in Obama's spot. And they even hired actors who looked like the people in the room just to like uh, sit in the exact same places. Now, yeah. Bong Joon-ho said it was a joke, not a political statement, but it's still like, that's kind of funny that he put right, of course. that much time and effort into just like a joke. But that's what I love about... Uh, this man's work is that he's like, you know, he wants to tell a big message movie. He's got his morals, his political stances, stuff on classism. And then he has these specific moments where he has these intentions, these exact intentions. Let's make the scene look exactly like this. Let's stage these characters exactly in this way. And it's almost like you can imagine that you can almost see in your mind, like him, him running wild with this, this idea, like, no, no, we have to stage something to look exactly like this, even if it's just for a gag, like, even if it's just funny, you know? Obama. Yeah. <laughs> uh, main note i have other than oak's face being designed after a manatee which was the for digital creature effects is that the alf the animal liberation front is actually a real organization striving to free captured animals while economically having big companies that profit from abuse so i guess 
you know, like what is a drum, drum, uh, whatever dramatized version of PETA, I guess is like stemmed from a very real thing of these activists, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. So you ready to get into the plot? A dive in. Dive on in. New York, 2007. Lucy Miranda Swinton has taken over the Miranda Corporation from her twin sister, also played by Tilda Swinton. But we don't find her until later, which is like <laughs> a hilarious. We'll, 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 we'll get, get to that there. later. Hold on, hold on. Don't, don't stub my toes yet. In her grandfather's old factory, she gives a presentation about the future of the organization. In the crowd, miming the words along with Lucy is Frank Giancarlo Esposito, uh, which, quick note, was re- uh, replaced Bill Nye who was originally casted for the role. Oh, that's interesting, actually. I like yeah. Bill Nye, but I like John Carlo. Just, you know. Yeah, no, I, I do too, but I could see him playing the role. But Classic it's good to him do. playing a, uh, like, ruthless businessman, too. You of know? course. I feel like this was just, uh, if Better Call Saul didn't exist, I feel like this would really be the uh, <laughs> prologue to Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He changed this but, into Los Pollos Hermanos. But he's... <laughs> This is basically how it started. Um, the presentation's focus is on a new breed of piglets discovered in South America. 26 pigs have been bred and will be distributed around the world for a competition that will last for 10 years. Lucy concludes by emphasizing that the pigs will produce less waste, eat less, and most important of all, will taste really fucking good. Quote, unquote. Uh, cut to 10 years later, far from New York. Mija, uh, Asio Hyun, as always, uh, viewer discretion, discussion advised steve and i are about to botch the korean language even though it will come up less this time yeah next week is gonna be rough <laughs> next week's gonna be some rough stuff um mija asio hyun and okja a now very large pig are re- uh, recreating the bare necessities yeah that was literally like a bare necessities moment i was thinking well, uh, yeah. disney reference you know where in the, and we, we you know we did disney and it's nice but no you're right finding fruit fish and living in a relaxed life on a mountaintop they may as well have been singing along in a musical they're basically disney characters it's wonderful um hebong played by beyond hebong mija's grandfather calls out for mija for dinner mija and okja attempt to take the shortcut up the mountain leading to mija almost falling off the side of the cliff and okja saving her their strong bond is redoubled at dinner, Hebong tells Mija that Mundo Park, played by Eugene Moon, the Mirando executive, will be coming to inspect Okja. Mija is confused as she believes her grandfather has purchased Okja. So disrespectful. Yeah. Uh, later that night, Mija leaves her bed and goes to sleep with Okja under the stars. Yeah, they have a very close relationship. It's very then, sweet. They're obviously, they want to set up the relationship and the bond so that we can feel bad when they're inevitably separated, I think. I haven't seen the movie, but... You haven't seen... You haven't seen Ocha? No, I, I, I've, I've heard about it, but... <laughs> the next day, Mundo makes it to the top of the mountain along with Jennifer, Shirley Henderson, who I don't know if anyone knows, but that's Moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. And it's also Babu Frick from The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, yeah, uh, good for her. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer and TV celebrity Johnny Wilcox, Jake Gyllenhaal. Johnny is furious with the climb, but is quickly awestruck by the size of Okja. As Johnny pets Okja, he tells the camera team to film as, quote, you can't fake these emotions, which is kind of funny because obviously Jake Gyllenhaal is faking these emotions. 
in a completely different voice, Johnny congratulates Hee Bong and Mija on Okja, which is also really funny. When he comes up the mountain, he has this wailing, whiny voice. And then as soon as the camera hits him, it's this, it's Jake Gyllenhaal's smooth, sultry, just like it's it work it works very well if, if handled differently it could have come off like really cartoonishly over the top but and it is over the top but it's like it you're like you said it's funny like it, it works for on a comedic level and on a bong joon ho level it is on brand because it's him commenting once again on the media and how fake sometimes it can be of course after getting an autograph from johnny he bong takes mija to her parents gravesite. There he gifts her with a golden pig statue and breaks the news that Okja will be taken to America. Mija, livid, chases after Okja. In Seoul, Mija goes to the Mirando Corporation's headquarters. The receptionist tries to ignore Mija until she dropkicks the glass door. Classic Bang Joon-ho moment. You know. The classic dropkick. Classic dropkick. Literally every movie. It's amazing. They love it. Evading the reception... Evading the receptionist and the security guard, Mija sees Okja being loaded onto a truck. Mija is able to jump onto the back of the truck. As the Mirando truck drives through the city, another truck labeled Express begins pushing the Miranda truck against a tunnel wall. Emerging from the Express truck are the AFL, Animal Liberation Front. The members include Jay, played by Paul Dano, Kay, Steve Yon, our guy from... Uh, it's well, Minari? Minari, thank you. Yes, at this time... We literally known, just watched it. At this time known primarily for The Walking Dead, and now he's finally, you know, getting out and getting something, some uh, a reputable, uh, you know, having having something uh, positive to say about his career. Yeah. <laughs> he's great as Glenn on The Walking Dead for, for you know... but I never the, watched it. But he did better. He's, he's moving on to bigger and better He's things. moving on to better things. Red played by Lily Collins, who is really heavy in the Netflix camp. She's done a lot of Netflix movies. Yeah, she. I've seen her a lot. She was in uh, Mank. She's been in To the Bone. Like, she just it keeps popping up in a lot of Netflix movies. She's there are also Netflix a few others in the truck. They break open the Miranda truck and take Okja. Mija calls um, out to Okja. There is no time for a reunion. They make their attempted escape through the subway mall. So just yes. cut you off real quick. There's a note on IMDb. It says that there's a deliberate mistranslation of the English subtitles when Kay, Stephen Yoon, is about to jump out of the truck in the beginning. And the sub, according to the subtitles, his words, his parting words to Mija are, Mija, try learning English. It opens new doors. What he's actually saying in Korean is, Mija, also my name is Ku Soon Bum. And it's a flagrant, a flagrant mistranslation, but one that would be apparent to those who can speak both languages. Um I think we'll it's get to interesting. That in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just I thought that was a very interesting note because it's just it go, plays into obviously you know plays into his character and yeah. Um, but anyway, they make their attempted escape through the subway mall. The AFL help Mija and Okja get away. Jay explains to Mija that the AFL planned on having Miranda recoup uh, recapturing Okja with a camera planted behind her ear thereby exposing the horrors that take place in the Miranda lab in New Jersey. However, now that they know Okja is Mija's family, they will not go through with the plan unless they have her consent. Mija says that she wants to take Okja back to the mountains. Kay, 
who is translating lies, uh, saying that Mija has given them permission. Paul Dano's performance was hilarious. When he hears it, he just like grabs her and hugs her and is like, oh, thank God. He's wonderful. He's so, I love Paul Dano. Yeah. She's abandoned her child now. (laughs) (laughs) The AFL members open the truck doors and jump off the bridge, which very risky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a badass. Suicide is badass. <laughs> Suicide's badass. The police surround the truck. Okja and Mija are taken. Miranda executives are gathered in the boardroom, watching the news in horror. Frank, a double agent, is helping Nancy spy on the meeting by keeping her on the phone. Lucy is particularly upset with being called a psychopath, not unlike mother's uh, son being uh, you know, called a retard in, in mother. So, um, A name she agrees uh, fits her father, uh, psychopath, but fits her father, but not her. Lucy Lambast saying that Mija will take down 10 years of planning. Silence takes over the room. Frank gets up and makes an espresso. <laughs> Very fitting. Um, suggesting that Lucy should make Mija and Okja the new spokesperson for the company. Hearing this, Johnny gets up and threatens to examine his other options. L- Lucy reminds him that he is a hack and has no other options. In South Korea, Hibang is reunited with Mija momentarily. She is then loaded onto a plane to New York City. Meanwhile, Lucy gets a present from Nancy, a portrait of the best CEO Miranda ever had. See, this moment I wanted to bring up before. Uh, this moment is, uh, you don't understand how poignant it is until later on when it's mm-hmm. revealed that Tilda Swinton is playing two characters. Because originally you think Nancy is like truly congratulating her right. sister until right. later when you see Nancy for the first time and it is Tilda Swinton with the haircut yeah, yeah, yeah. that the woman has in the portrait. Well, you realize a lot when it comes full circle, the more reveals there are as the story goes on about how corrupt and how much lying is going on in, among all the characters. But the, ca- the AFL camera in Okja's ear is working. They look on with horror as Okja walks through the, uh, the um, New, New Jersey. Jersey lab seeing countless deformed pigs. Waiting for Okja is a drunk and vindictive Johnny. He first brings in Alfonso, a large male pig, to mate with Okja. During the rape, Kay admits to his fellow AFL members that Mija never agreed to the plan. Jay breaks and beats the shit out of Kay, telling him he is no longer a member of the AFL. Uh, That was uh, heavy stuff all around. Very intense and rough stuff for Kay. Rough stuff for all of them. And Uh, Okja. Of course. A defeated Okja lays on the floor of the lab. Johnny resumes the torture by taking pieces of Okja. The meat is then fed to test groups. Yeah, what a a whole sequence that all is. It's kind of like it's the first time that everything really changes, but... Yeah. uh, Heavy stuff. The Miranda parade down down on Wall Street is in full swing, which was funny because that we've covered now two movies that took place exactly in that spot because that's where the final battle of the dark knight rises to is was shot as well oh yeah mija is handed a dress that lucy designed herself to wear to the ceremony about to change mija finds jay in a bellhop uniform in her room he holds up flashcards telling her that the afl plans to help mija and okja escape Outside, Johnny makes his way through the crowd to the stage to introduce Lucy. Euphoric, Lucy basks in the crowd and makes a few digs about her sister. 
she i just want to make an extra note here it's also really funny when johnny introduces her and he goes for a hug and she like completely blows him off just like ripping the mic from his hand oh yeah she then introduces Mija. a broken okja is then brought to the stage jay calls it jay calls it and the screens show johnny torturing okja you know he shows the rape and him taking the meat from her it's brutal stuff Simultaneously, Frank and Nancy are having a lavish lunch, anticipating everything to fall apart. Pandemonia at the parade breaks out. Okja, scared, grabs Mija's arm, nearly biting it off. Jay tries to intercede by hitting Okja, but Mija stops this. She snaps Okja out of it by whispering in her ear. NYPD is set loose, beating everyone they can find. Lucy, defeated, is sitting on a curbside. Nancy walks over with a cigarette and a document which hands over control of the company. Now reinstated as CEO, Nancy tells Frank, the New Jersey lab will be shut down. Lucy will take responsibility for this calamity, but production of the pigs will not stop because quote unquote, if it's cheap, the, they'll eat it. She'll, uh, she also orders the NYPD to crack down harder on the AFL, which leads to really just savage brutality of the police, which is more poignant now than ever, I guess. There's a lot. Uh, I'll save it for the end, but there's a lot, I think, more poignant with this movie now than it was yep. when it came out. But um, Jay and Mija are saved by the teeth from the police by Kay. They make their way to the Miranda slaughterhouse in hopes of finding Okja. The scene is metaphorically and literally dark. Okja walking up the ramp to be killed hears Mija's call. Mija runs into the factory to find Okja with a gun to her head. Nancy and Frank, also in the factory, walk into the scene. Mija in English says she only wants to come home. Nancy says the pigs are only worth money, dead, and presses the man to shoot Okja. Jay and Kay are dragged away by the factory's security. Mija reaches into her fanny pack, pulls out the golden pig Hebong gave her. She throws the pig at Nancy's feet, and Nancy is to let Okja go. Surrounded by the pigs awaiting slaughter, Okja and Mija walk away defeated. <laughs> a mother and father pig come into focus, and they sneak their piglet through the electric fence in probably one of the most heartbreaking, uh, you know, just in-your-face sad moments uh, we've covered in, in Bong, Bong Joon-ho's films thus far. <laughs> yeah, this the whole sequence is uh, the just guards, brutal. It's just really hard. The, the, the guard escorting Mija and Okja look back, but the piglet has vanished. It is inside Okja's mouth. They continue their march forward as the pigs howl in success and sorrow. It's really some stuff. Um, back on the mount, back on, on the mountain, Mija, Okja, and the new piglet play by the lake. They once again are called home for dinner. Mija is still clearly in pain, but this time Okja whispers in her ear. Yeah, it was a great reversal because... I, I only mentioned it once, but throughout the film, Mija whispers in Okja's ear. Mm -hmm. But for the first time, you see Okja, I, obviously she can't talk, but she goes up to Mija's ear and like breathes. You get the and, idea that it's, that yeah, their relationship comes full circle. You get the idea that Okja maybe doesn't understand what you know what Mija is whispering but she understands how it has a calming effect and it's how Mija yeah, needs yeah, yeah. it right now mm -hmm. it's because really... Mija just went through everything and just can't get the horror she's witnessed out of her 
it's Glenn. really something. Um, and with that, Hebong and me just sit for a vegetable dinner. After the credits have rolled, Jay, now with a beard, gets out of prison. Waiting for him at the gate is Kay. They get on a bus which contains Red and the entire AFL gang. They're off to their next target, Nancy. The end. Yeah, for the first time, I think this was Bong Joon-ho saying to Marvel, hey, I can make post-credit sequences too. Um, This also feels, maybe it's, well, there's still too much commentary for it to feel, um, but it almost has the feel, and I'll get into this in our categories, but it has the feel of like a comic book movie in the sense of its escapism. It's kind of like adrenaline rush of just um, action and adventure. And so, uh, I don't know, like it's just very... That's how I. That's how I feel about it, anyway. No, that's a real, really good point. Um, but before we get into our discussion, let's get into the categories. As always, the categories are best or worst character, best genre bend, worst moment for the lower class, best twist ending, and best metaphor. I'll kick it off with the best or worst character. I'm gonna go with the best worst character. I, I kind of fused it again. Yep. And I feel before. like. There's really, there, there are two answers. My runner-up is Nancy, but the winner is Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. He, as an acting performance, this is like a stellar performance. The dichotomy in the voice and just the energy he brings is magnetic. But at the same time, his character is reprehensible sympathetic and just i don't know demonstrative it's just like this guy is so complicated because you can tell he he's lost his way he started as an animal rights person and by the end he's just a drunk destroyed man who is torturing animals because it's the only thing that he has power over in his life and he's just so pathetic. He's such a pathetic individual. He's so pathetic that even Lucy can't even like bring herself to hug him at the parade. Although yeah, there really... was that hilarious moment when Mija is coming out on stage and the stage rises and he's like yeah, yeah, on yeah, it yeah. and rolling up. It, I don't know. It's pretty funny. He gives, it's just the reason it's the best is because I think it's the best performance in the movie. Mm-hmm but his character is just like the worst. Yeah, no, he's kind of like a Meg performance. It's kind of like Meg where it's just like, this guy's the worst. It's a a character you kind of love to hate. I feel like he's the only logical answer. He's the only, he's the character, only character that really sells it all because he has to, like, I'm sure he was written that way on paper, but it's like, he's so cartoonishly over the top that it's like, it just works. Like I had said while we were reading, um, if differently he could have it could have come off like really uh just ter- ter- terrible and cringy um but i think that you had mentioned i'll go with um the runner-up because i had the same answers um is tilda swinton i had given her kudos to um Sn- snowpiercer but i'll do so again here she kind of fits perfectly into bong Joon ho's universe of like the capitalist evil character who's charming but like really you know they have a real dark side and i do love that they did the loose they did lucy and nancy that she's playing two characters because lucy's terrible and you're like okay like she's following corporate like she's like you know i've worked for retail companies for years like you know you follow see people follow the corporate way and it's like she's you get the idea that she's bad but like 
you don't know how far that rabbit hole goes. And then you meet Nancy and you're like, oh, this actually gets so much worse. Um, and so for Tilda Swinton to, to, cause she's such a tremendous actress to be able to pull off two very similar roles because they're obviously supposed to be twin sisters, but also two different roles in their, and that splitting hair between the cruelty of the Miranda uh, family. Uh, she just, she she nails it. So um, I don't think enough credit can be given to her as well. She crushes it in both roles. I love it. What is your best genre bend? All right. So as we said, uh, in genre bend, uh, a movie just, it's tone changing for even just a moment. Um, I had wanted to say the moment where they're kind of torturing Okja and the whole feeding the skin, um, you know, doing the test samples, it goes obviously real horror intentionally kind of just if just in the sense that you feel horror for the characters, but even the way it's staged, uh, the lighting and the music, and it's just really, it's really eerie. I really will focus though on the genre of, of adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, had, I had compared this to Marvel because I think more so than any other movie he's done so far, because if Snowpiercer was a violent action movie, uh, and the host was a, a, a horror monster movie, well, you know, that ends up becoming family, a family oriented comedy, if you will. Um, this goes full blown adventure in the way that like Spielberg movies do. Um, there's that sense of rushing. I, I use rushing adrenaline in the sense of like, it's a fun kind of romp, like, especially like once Mija leaves and goes to New York, it's because the movie starts out as a standard drama, but like once they're uh, that moment where they're on the bus and the AFL's coming in in their van, and they're all and they're sprinkling some. Uh, yeah, and they give the countdown, and they 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 no they and they come and they do the whole raid, and like this movie's filled with action. And the reason I don't use action is because I think action is like more of, is associated more with violence, gunfire, and, and and fighting, but this is like adventure. There's so many chase sequences and so many. I don't know, just unexpected moments where characters are are creating plots and they're they're creating their own little schemes, and so yeah. I it dives really right into that. And I love that. So um, no, that's but, a good one. Tell the folks uh, at home. For mine, I went with the corporate meeting that took place uh, after Mija and Okja destroy the subway station and Lucy and her entire board are meeting. That whole sequence felt like an episode of Succession where you're laughing and terrified at the same time because you're laughing because the conversation they're having is almost ridiculous but at the same time the stakes are so high it's just rich people trying to get control of what they cannot control and it almost like i said it felt like an episode of succession and i i couldn't help but laugh at that sequence the entire time because Lucy is just like distraught about how her plans are, you know, it's all, it's, it's so like, it's what you stereotype rich people as, as being just so about themselves. It doesn't matter about the pig. It doesn't matter about the actual destruction that took place in the subway. It's about how this affects me. 10 years of my planning is destroyed. I designed a dress for this entire thing and now I can't even wear it. Yeah. And then Frank in the middle of, the silence gets up and like makes an espresso breaking the silence and the way he like feeds her the idea and he's like um don't you think that it would be a great idea if Mija became like the spokesperson and then it just becomes funnier when Hall comes in and is like 
uh, excuse me? <laughs> and he's like laying his hand on top of the bald guy's head. And he's like, you know, it, it's just the mannerisms. It, it's so funny. You know what it is? is it's, it's creating a light weight, like the environment, a light. And this is why Succession is a great uh, example. Um, comparison is it's, it's creating a lightweight in an environment for very heavy and intense and otherwise like very controversial topics it's these people with so much money that they usually just have these conversations make an espresso uh, make an espresso and just kind of be able to boast and crack jokes meanwhile like people's lives are at stake or whatever or like there's an yep. entire controversy happening in the in the corrupt system and these people are kind of just like casually boasting in the way that like like you said people in corporate tv they do all the time and it's just the levity comes just from the pure selfishness of these people anyway, really gross and it works uh, but tell them, yeah moment for the lower class there's no moment that's truly bad for i guess the human lower class i mean there is and there isn't so i'm gonna go with the ending uh not the post-credit sequence but the entire ending when the pigs are howling and squealing at the moon because you're just the downtrodden in this movie are not just the pigs, but who these genetically modified creatures are going out to to be fed to, because that's what it's about. It's just a sigh all around of just like, this is horrible for everyone involved. The pigs know that they're about to die because the mother and father pig literally electrocute themselves to get their piglet out. In, and they don't even know if it's going to work. They're just pushing their pig out, just, hoping. Just a hope, yeah. And just, I guess the howl is probably my, it's just the pain of everything that has just been witnessed in that horrific sequence being just released for the audience and for the people involved. I feel like that answer is the only real answer. I had said that a, a moment to, not the worst moment, to show how different the lower class is, I had, had expressed, um, you know, interest in in Oakes's uh, grand and grandfathers, like the whole village they live in, and it's not a really a, like they live a great life. They live a very um, simple life. It's very secluded. It's very different. You know, it's very extracted from the real world, kind of. But I think that's to show to juxtapose everything you were just saying. Is it shows like this world where there is no pain, there's no horror. It's kind of like they live in the mountains. Um, and they really don't seem to have a lot. And so it's kind of like this whole thing of to invest money in this golden pig. And like, it's almost like they were, they had this great opportunity thrust upon them with Okja, not knowing what it was. So I had focused on that moment at first, that this is to show how disconnected the lower class is, but it's not the worst moment. Our category is the worst moment. And I think the one you mentioned is the one, the only one that really stands out. And it's very interesting that up until now, we've seen, the worst moments for lower class uh, for humans, like you had said, it's like any, I mean, not counting the violence dogs, even though he's got his disclaimer in barking dogs, this is showing the worst moment for the lowest class, which is, I mean, on the food chain, no pun intended, it's the pigs. And yeah. so it's really, there's no other moments to talk about. It's kind of something that will segue into my, our final in, discussion, but. In this movie, it's just kind of ironic because the people who are most content are in the beginning. It's Mija and Hebong yeah. and Okja just like living their, I'm not saying that they're poor, but they're living their like just lives in the mountains. You know, Hebong is carrying 
we first are introduced to him when he's carrying wood to his house, you know, and he seems perfectly content with everything that's going on. Mija yeah. is so fucking happy just to be living with Okja. Yeah, absolutely. And the rich people to my other job to my genre band are just so destroyed by their own success. So in a way, it's kind of like a flip on what's a reverse. Really, I was just going to say that doing. it's a reverse because he shows how 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 um, how terrible the, the lower class has it, and in this it's really the lower class that seems to be at the most peace. That's why I didn't want to like make that my moment, the one with the grandfather and Mija and. Um, but it is a moment that reflects that complete diversity because without it, you don't see, you see such a, you don't see the contrast between that and the corrupt, distraught people of New York, which is so fitting for New York. Yeah. So what's your best twist? So I, I, I mean, there's obviously, you know, Stephen Yoon betraying the group, uh, not betraying, lying was, was, a, was an easy one. Uh, I had to go with the reveal of Tilda Swinton's, of Nancy, in the sense that we knew she existed but I think more so to, to see how terrible she actually was and to, for her to, to sh not show up until the third act, I think gave weight to the, to, to it feeling like a twist. Cause you're told in the opening moments that she's got a twin, but you don't think anything of it. Then also there's this moment with the cigarette and she comes down next to her and like, I can't explain it. It's almost like the reveal of a character that you knew. It's like watching a TV show and they introduce a character and then you don't see him for a while. And then all of a sudden, like someone will show up unexpectedly and you're like, oh shit. It's like, a, it's like kind of like, for me, it was like a holy shit moment. Cause I'm like, oh, here's the real bad guy. Yeah. And movies have done that, you know, from the, from the dawn of uh, the dawn of cinema, you know, if you will, where, uh, you know, it's, you think you're watching the bad guy and then there's a worse person, but just the reveal of Nancy and just how really how bad she was. I was I pulled the rug from underneath me. So. What makes that twist even better to me is just um, I think we mentioned it before, but when Nan when Lucy gets that painting in the mail, and you don't realize until Nancy is shown <clears throat> that that's a portrait of her. She is uh, truly, like you said, the e true evil of the court of the company, just always lurking in the background. Absolutely. But for my twist, I went with the one you first mentioned, which is Stephen Yon uh, betraying Mija. I mean, not that he really had, you know, an allegiance to her, but Paul Dano lays out very clearly, like, we're here not to harm anyone. We're here to just do what's right. And Stephen Yon breaks that code almost immediately. And puts the mission in front of Mija and Okja's feelings, not just their feelings, but their livelihoods. Okja is literally tortured because of what he does. And it might not be a twist, but it is. Oh, it's an, it's a, it's a pretty unexpected moment, kind of. Yeah, exactly. But that's, um, that's my twist. No, that's and good. Best metaphor is, I'm going to go with the really obvious one. I'm going to go with Okja and just the concept of the super pigs in general, because they are clearly just a stand-in for meat in general that it it's very clear that's what it yeah. is they're they're stand-in for the meat industrial complex that is worldwide now and how disgusting it can and is that can be and is so that it's it's just so on the nose but it's yeah it, it that's my answer no, of course. I mean, I'm just kind of tailing on. It's really the only obvious answer I said. I felt 
I mean, I've just put the note while watching. I said the note is animals equals food equals commerce equals bad. Um, yeah. This whole idea that it stems from the root of of animals and obviously it's obviously animals leads to money and this whole idea of like the opening scene, you know, like oh sure, like we want to end uh, world hunger, but it's like at the end of the day, she says they they taste fucking good. It's like this whole. It's in a sense, you know, the notion that people love fast food and McDonald's because it's cheap and it tastes good. That's not to say that all the, like we said, the artificial, you know, crap that they put in it. Um, this is, you know, stems back to, you know, the treatment of animals, right? That's the whole crux of it. But really for me, it's like Okja and animals in general, like represents uh, currency. I feel like currency is this huge thing, more so than probably any other movie we've watched of his, considering that class is his whole thing. This is the classism, but for this currency is it takes so many forms because it's like, you see, it's like at the base of Okja, it's like, it's about, okay, so like it'll solve these issues, but it's also going to like create money. If I could um, just add to that though, yeah, there's a very yeah. poignant moment at the, toward the end of the film when Nancy is talking to Mija and Mija says, I just want to take Okja to the mountains. Yep. And Nancy says, Okja is worth more to me dead than alive. Pigs are worth more to be dead than alive. And that's the so whole, yeah. That's the whole point. Something dead is worth more than something living. Right. Which is the crux of it all. And yeah. The crux of the point I think you're trying to make. Yeah, it is. Because I was going to say, at the end of the day, it's it's her golden pig, throwing her golden pig at Nancy's feet. It's this literal metaphor of like, she's throwing the a golden version of the pig, which these pigs are supposed to create a golden opportunity that makes Nancy go like, okay, like you can have your way. Even though Nancy's, it's interesting because Nancy's mind isn't changed. And that's what, well, I'll, I'll you know, I'll elaborate more on this in our final discussion. Well, but we can this go is, into final discussion now. It's fine. That's fine. It's, it's, it, so I'll segue. It's kind of like this whole idea that even though Nancy changes her mind for a moment, the system is still not broken. The system is broken, but the system has not changed. Well, to your we point, she doesn't change her mind on anything. She just says, okay, you're willing to pay me for this pig. I'll take it. It's a business. It's a transaction. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's a business transaction through and through. It's not that her mind changes. It's everything comes down to money. Right. And if this were like, a, like if this were like, oh, I almost feel, and this is what I really respect about Bong, and this will tie into like my, my second viewing of it, because this is the first time I watched it since I first watched it, but- you, watching this at, from a Hollywood perspective, we internally as moviegoers, as good-natured people, want Mija to be able to break out the farm and and have the pigs let loose and set them free into the wild and have this happy ending. The Miranda Corporation fails. And like what I really love about this movie, and it stood out to me this time because much like Wes, I felt it strongly similar to Wes is that watching this filmography in order has made me really appreciate how we've gotten to this point because you and I had spoken when this movie first came out. I had not really known who Bong Joon-ho was. I think I had seen just Snowpiercer. And so I didn't really know. I didn't look at this as a Bong Joon-ho movie. I looked at this as a pro PETA movie. And I'm like, okay, it'll just make you feel bad about the cruelty of animals. But watching Bong Joon-ho's commentary on classism and knowing who he is, it's watching movies like this that make me appreciate like show that we're doing in a sense of this as a Bong Joon-ho film and not a pro-PETA film because I get that. I like that it doesn't have the Hollywood ending. I like mm -hmm. that, oh, you know, Okja, this would have been a totally different, this would have had a totally different effect if they killed Okja and then, you know, Mija learned her lesson, but it's also like, 
evil still wins in a sad way. It has the happy ending, but it has the world a median is- a medium ending because yes, Mija got her pig back, which was ultimately the goal of the movie. But at the same time, she you you see just the scale of the horror of everything that's surrounding this industry now. And at the end, like I said, when Okja whispers in Mija's ear, it's because Mija just like can't get that out of her mind. Right. I think we, you kind of alluded to this earlier in the podcast, like toward the beginning, but when I first saw this movie in 2017, I walked away going, that was a little like Elysium where it beats you over the head. Of course, with yeah. With the message. But the more time passes on and the more 2020 and 2021 goes on, I'm kind of backtracking and go, maybe it was, maybe it's not beating you over the head. It just is how it truly is. And we're not, we're, and we're, we so- were just so blind to it back in 2017. Of course. I think that we're incredible. We're in, we, I think that moviegoers is very sad. Especially, all right, let me, sorry. I think American moviegoers are very sanitized. And we talked about this in a couple, I've talked about this in a couple, a couple bong episodes ago about how he's not, he's very blunt with his direct, you know, his kind of, his kind of criticism. Whereas like, I just feel like American films gloss over a lot of what reality is like even the way i was mentioning in in mother i think it was how the characters are arguing and it's funny but it's but it's blunt they're calling each other names and it's like feels a little like over the top but like like bong gets right to the point Mm -hmm. and so like i think that for a lot of american moviegoers that sense of adventure escapism i talked about in the genre they'll like really latch onto it but it really like the ending it's the whole ending that solidifies like the the true nature of the horror of this situation the this isn't a disney movie the, dark side. <laughs> the true nature of the dark side oh boy um but it's really and that's what i love is that this is so embedded in realism in the sense that like evil will still win their corporates will still have their way and it's like what you mentioned and what i alluded to earlier about it being very 2020 is like this movie's filled with protests and it's filled with dividing sides and i had said earlier in the episode that it's um it feels like satire on both greedy corporate American pigs, pun intended, and the animal rights activists. Because what ultimately it is, is it's showing two extremist parties fighting for fighting over the same thing, but they're for very different causes. Yeah. And that feels a lot like how- Not only that, but you watch the NYPD beat the shit out of these protesters who I'm not saying- are necessarily right though i am a vegetarian i but i am saying that um you know paul dano lays out very explicitly in the beginning we are not here to like do harm to anyone we are here just to expose the horrors that lie in like the darkness and these peaceful protesters are being beat to shit by the nypd and you watch that and compare it to the protests that took place in 2020 versus the protests that took place in 2021. And you're just kind of like, this 
police brutality thing might be more on the nose than like even Bong Joon-ho may have thought in 2017. Yeah, he may have not even realized because he probably, he took a a reality that he knew and he was like, let me just showcase this as part of my story because the protests- also, you know, we talked about it in Mother and Memories of Murder. He's never had like a very high esteem of police in South Korea. So I feel like he took his South Korean sentiment and brought it to America. 100%. But in this regard, I feel like he kind of hit the nail on the head. I'm not saying the New York police are as brutal as some other police, but they have the capability of being as brutal. It's the topic of police brutality in general. So it's kind of like, it's funny that you talk about his Korean perspective of the Americans, because I come back to the beginning of The Host with the, the cartoonish scientist who's like, no, we have to do what we have to do. And it's like, Hey, this is a bit feels a little over the top, whatever. But it's like at the same time, that's a like the opening events of the host were based on real events, like people dumping formaldehyde because it's like Americans dumping formaldehyde, and and that's the thing, and that's what Bong does best is he's exposing the the, the horrors of what not just Americans, but people in general are capable of. And like, even though like well, you and I, I don't think it's controversial to say that America and South Korea have a very complicated relationship and Bong Joon-ho has a very complicated relationship with both as well because Mm -hmm. specifically this and Snowpiercer he's dealt with a very he's dealt with American backers to his movies so he's getting more into the American camp in general yeah it's uh, well we were saying I think that I think with the host is the first time his movies start feeling more American in that, in the grander sense. We talked about in Mother, how he widened, the, he literally widened the with each movie, even if they're not taking place in America, they're they're touching on more American themes. And like, this is really about as American as it gets, which is ironic that he goes back to his roots uh, next week. But <laughs> yeah. um, there's, I just, I don't know. He, he does commentary in a way that can be jarring. I think that's what you and I didn't take away from this in 2017 because like i said for me at least i didn't look at this as a bong joon ho film and a lot of people might not so a lot of americans may watch this movie and be like this is extreme it's a fun movie up until the point where it's cruel and yet that's that's bong's entire point it's fun and it's hollywood but it's also there are terrors and horrors and it's not you know it's not a, a fun adventure film anymore there's actually you know horrible things going on yeah the fun and adventure often leads to discovering something that you were not ready to discover. Yeah. Specifically a child who walked into essentially a concentration camp for pigs. <laughs> That's the point I wanted to make before is you talking about Mija needing the whispering in the ear because she can't handle it. So much of this movie is, I mean, is from Mija's perspective. And so when you see how cruel and horrible the ending is, you're also watching it from the perspective of a child. So it's, of course it's ho- it's horrible, but through the eyes of a child, it's going to seem even more devastating. And the innocence is going to seem even more shattered because Mija walks away a different person. In a sense, so does the audience. So through we're watching it literally through a child's eyes. So even the over-dramatization of the terror of, of the slaughterhouse, which is already a terrible thing, it seems that much worse be- almost because it's through the eyes of a child. It's the, it's the only way you can see how bad it really is because children have that unfallible way of knowing what's right or wrong because well, they just see the world of black point, and white. Well, to your point, what is most, most adventure films are about the 
transition from childhood into either adolescence or adulthood. And that is exactly the journey Mija takes in this movie. Yeah, she, that's a great way of putting it. She completely transforms in the way that a child would in any, uh, you know, a comic book movie or an adventure movie where, you know, you have a, a, a kid tagging along to, to represent the innocence of uh, what's black and white in the world. And it doesn't get more black and white than this movie in terms of Bong's filmography. He has a, here's good and here's evil. I mean, he does the same thing in Snowpiercer, but he also does it in a transitional sense where we're good slowly becomes evil as the as they become wealthier this is like a no there are divided sides right from the beginning and it's kind of like for the audience to like really just mend with the the middle of it um i don't know man i love it i love the commentary i had a much different experience this time oh absolutely i don't think i've had a movie that, that we've covered where i've had more of a transition from it's fine to this is really poignant you know yeah. like there are a couple movies that we've watched that i've watched before where i'm like wow that's like it's a brand new experience but this time i was truly like awestruck by how different of a perspective i had walking away from this movie i think that movies like this are and i felt it i haven't i keep comparing him to west and i think it's poignant that they're both have the credit they do because i think their movies are the prime examples of movies that age well with time i think that the importance and value of re-watching movies boils down to something like okja because you watch it and it's a, it's a it's a movie that's like you what did you compare to elysium which is fine it's a good sci-fi film but it's you know it's almost like clockwork orange like they're peeling your eyes open like here's the message of the movie but with okja it's like you let it resonate over time you realize the true horrors of the world from your own from the audience's own perspective and then you watch this and you're like no no like movies like this need to be taken into account over and again they age well they're the the, the themes are more poignant than they've ever been. i mean i I don't mean to bash Nolan again. I really don't. This is not my intent. <laughs> but I feel like, to your point, the reason we keep comparing Wes Anderson and Bong Joon-ho is because at the end of the day, we're finding there's more depth to their movies where when we kept examining Nolan movies, you find just how hollow they truly are. They are more action you know, specifically Tenant, it's like, what was really the point, you know, other than just big action? Because yeah. you don't really get to learn anything about anyone in that movie. You don't walk away with an epiphany of anything. I think it's the difference between absorbing movies from a, a younger perspective and an older perspective. As you and I become more crotchety old men and we become you know, more Stanton and Waldorf with movies we watch, I think it's important to say like, well, no, wh why is it that I'm cranky at these other movies? Because it's like, yeah, I'd appreciate when I was 13 and be like, yo, that was awesome. Versus like, no, these you know, movies about dep uh, depressed brothers uh, going through a traumatic experience on a train together, it hits me a lot harder. You know what I mean? There's something about growing up and getting older and like appreciating these themes. And even something with Okja is being, like you, we said, it feels like it's beating you over the head. Is actually like, no, no, there's some value here and you'll, you'll learn it at some point or another. Ooh. All right. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's a good point to end uh, I completely agree. our discussion. So tell me, Josh, do you have a pick of the week? I do maybe a dark horse. Uh, I think between the mixtures of um, animals and food, uh, it may not be fitting in the sense that you think it is, 
Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Pixar's Ratatouille, the 2007 <laughs> classic. That's a good one. That's a good uh, pick. Obviously a very different message, but I love the, uh, the, the web, the interactive web of, of animals, uh, food, and how it all comes together. And ultimately, there's the critic. It comes down to it being about, you know, what does this really mean in, in the terms of the objective perspective? Um, uh, but it's also a heartwarming story in its heart. It's about a man and a rat and food, and it's art it, in ways you can't really explain. Um, I think it's one of the most, I think it's probably the most underrated Pixar movie. We continuously talk about bastard movies from, <laughs> uh, you know, specific directors or in filmography. I feel like Ratatouille is almost like the bastard child of Pixar, where it is so good. Oh, man. And it no is so one good. Talks about it. No, they or it's don't. Not I think given enough credit. You know what it is? Is it doesn't have that pizzazz that gives it a title. Toy Story is about toys. Monsters Inc. is about monsters. Incredibles is about superheroes. Ratatouille. It's like okay, it's about a rat, but also a chef, and it's kind of about food. And like you can't really give it a label and be with yeah. the label. It's hard for people to be like to find something to attach yourself to. But I think Ratatouille is just as good as a lot of the Pixar classics. But we'll cover that in our Pixar show, of course. Oh yeah, when we get to it eventually. <laughs> I also went with an animated movie. Uh, this is truly a dark horse one. I'm going to go with The Black Cauldron. <laughs> Holy shit. Because in that movie, the main character has a pig as a sidekick. So I literally went with the pig thing. And the movie is equally as dark as Okja is. I never saw it. It, it is truly the darkest movie that Disney has ever made. We'll have to do, uh, what era is that, the 80s? Yeah, that's uh, the dark ages of Disney animation. We'll have, animation. To, we'll, have to, we'll have to cover that in the future as well. Before the dark times. Before, before dark Bob Iger, Iger's empire. <laughs> God. No, I'm very excited. I like to touch on darkness. It feels more adult and real. Anyway. I don't um, know if it feels any more real. It's just that movie you watch and you're like, wow. Wow. <laughs> they really put this in here? Yeah. Anyway. And, uh, yeah. So I think that concludes this episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Uh, Absolutely. Tell the people at home, Stephen, where they can find us. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Letterbox at Mr. Filmart. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Whose Filmography. And Josh, where can the people find you? You also find me on Letterbox under Beesh. Uh, it's exactly how it sounds. Uh, but yeah, also, you know, our podcast on Instagram, Whose Filmography. Give and us a next, follow, folks. Next week... I can't believe it, but we're finishing Bong Joon-ho's filmography. We're up to his Academy Award-winning film, Parasite. I'm just going to save all of it for next week. I'm That's saving really... every thought I have. It's just astounding to me that we are already on his last film. We are marching marching into 2021. Peacefully marching, but we're marching. We are going. Best foot forward. <laughs> <laughs> so we will see you next week. Make sure... You bring your rocks and hide your stink bugs. Enjoy your veggie burgers, folks. Yeah.